Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 38 of the Quarantine Hockey Chew podcast. And I know it's episode 38. We had some number issues in the past, but we're fixing it now. This is episode 38 and we have a great show for you today. We have a very intriguing and interesting interview with Mark Scheig of the Hockey Writers. He is their credentials manager. He covers the Blue Jackets, Cleveland Monsters, the OHL, the NHL draft. So a lot of stuff. And when you're covering many different teams in different cities, it leaves a lot of good stories and different things that are very interesting to talk about. He also covered Connor McDavid when he was at the Erie Otters and met him when he was younger uh, before he was in the NHL. So there's great stories with that as well. Uh, And then, of course, after that great interview, uh, we have some other NHL news we got to talk about. Of course, always COVID uh, protocols, things like that. Uh, Tony D'Angelo got waived by the New York Rangers, and there's also uh, Sam Bennett, and there's Victor Mete, and a lot of different things, different trade requests, and things like that, that we need to talk about, but of course, we're going to talk about that after this fantastic interview with Mark Scheig, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. I really found it a very, very interesting conversation, and I really enjoyed talking to him, so Mark... Thank you so much for this interview. But without further ado, let's get right into the interview with Mark Scheich of the Hockey Writers. Enjoy. Today, the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to welcome the credentials manager in Blue Jackets and Cleveland Monsters writer for the Hockey Writers. Today's guest has been covering hockey with the Hockey Writers for six years and is also the host of Hockey Writers Live. Everyone, please welcome Mr. Mark Shake to the show. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this, Zach. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Even though we're fresh into the NHL season, this mm-hmm. is our episode recapping the third week of the NHL, uh, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, let's first start out, before we get into the NHL, the Blue Jackets, and everything like that, let's first start out with your career how did you discover your love for hockey and when did you decide that you wanted to write about it for a career? Yeah, see, that, that's a fun question, Zach, because I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be into hockey. I want to say first game that I remember watching was I was eight years old, grew up as a actually as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I was actually out in my neighborhood just riding around my bicycle and there's a restaurant right down the street from where my parents used to live. I looked in and I saw this big screen TV that had a hockey game on it. And I got real curious about like, what is this? And turned out to be Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And from that day forward, I literally became a fan. Really never thought about writing for several years though. I ended up going to um, college studying mathematics of all things. But then more recently, actually in 2014, I sort of had an itch to write and the hockey writers was looking for writers. They were a small site at the time. I was able to jump on board with them just periodically writing a couple articles a week. But the big thing was at that time, some kid named Connor McDavid, you may or may not have heard of him, Zach, but um, played for the Erie Otters and living in Erie at the time, I was able to transition not only become a writer, but the Erie Otters welcomed me to be a credentialed writer with them. And I was able to cover Connor McDavid's draft year. So that's where things really started to take off. 
And then I latched on to Columbus as well. Um, I believe the year Sonny Milano was drafted in 2014. My first article was about development camp there and then it's just taken off. So it was just, I, I felt the urge. So I, I knew that I wanted to do something with hockey, but I really wasn't sure what. And it just worked out that the timing was right to be able to jump into a kind of a small developing site. And here we are today. That's awesome. And especially that you started on the lower parts in the OHL and mm-hmm. able to see the whole NHL and the whole hockey community instead of just focusing on one league. And I find that very, very interesting. But before the pandemic, take me through what your usual day would look like covering the Blue Jackets or the Cleveland Monsters. And how difficult was that even before the pandemic because you don't actually live in Columbus or Cleveland? That's a good question, Zach, because I do live near Ohio. I I actually live just in the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Ohio border. I know a lot of people have heard of Erie. I live in a small town close to the Ohio border. So to be able to get places, it doesn't take very long to get to. So to Columbus is approximately a three hour trip. So my day would actually start at five o'clock in the morning, getting up, getting ready to go. Um, I would get into town around 8.30, 9 o'clock. Breakfast would already be taken care of and I'd be to the arena around 9.15, 9.30, assuming that's a 10.30 morning skate. Um, and then Cleveland's obviously closer for me, but it's only, it only takes about an hour and a half to get to, but I usually don't do a morning skate with them. It's just usually go in the afternoon get there, maybe have a little bit of dinner, go right into the game, you know, usually around a seven o'clock start. So those are just real quick trips. And the Columbus one, three hours, you know, a little bit of a trip, but, Uh you know, ultimately it it ends up being worth it. And I think that the three teams that I primarily cover, so you got Erie Otters, you got Cleveland Monsters, you got Columbus Blue Jackets, Columbus and Cleveland are, they're in the same, they're affiliated with each other. Uh And then being here in Erie and, now, that helps, like you mentioned earlier, being able to have the different exposure to leagues to be able to talk to the junior players. Like I covered Sonny Milano. I covered Oscar Dansk when he was a, a Blue Jackets prospect. Being able to get to know them. Liam Foodie's another example. When he played with the London Knights, he would come through Erie. I probably had five or six different interviews with him. And then when he made it up to the, um, to the Blue Jackets last year's in Buffalo, he got emergency called up. Um, I got to see him there and he immediately recognized me and just that relationship of starting in the OHL and then being able to follow him all the way through, I think has certainly been a big help, but the travel really isn't that bad. Just given where I'm at, just, it starts at five o'clock in the morning and I'll usually stay in Columbus after the game and then drive back the next day, depending on what's going on. Or sometimes I'll go to the next arena. Like last year, for instance, um, pre the pandemic, I went on a trip, went to Columbus, then they played in Nashville on a Saturday night. So I spent Friday, went to the practice in Columbus, hopped in my car and, and drove down to Nashville from Columbus on that Friday, um, checked into the hotel, you know, around nine, 10 o'clock local time that night in Nashville. So got plenty of sleep, got up the next day and was able to be down in Nashville to cover that game. And then Sunday, they had a day off. I got to drive back up to Columbus from Nashville. And then Monday was the trade deadline. So we got to be back to Nationwide Arena to cover the trade deadline. And that was the night they played Ottawa um, after after that. So yeah, the travel, you know, it, it's a little bit, but ultimately it just, it's all worth it. Yeah. And that's very interesting, especially, I mean, that's 
a long season back and forth, three hours there, three hours back. And especially you said you go to other cities as well and travel. Um, And it's very interesting. You talking about being able to see those players grow uh, from Mm -hmm. the OHL to then the AHL and then to the NHL. But my question for you before we get to that specifically is you're covering three teams. You're covering one in the OHL and Erie. You're covering yep. Cleveland Monsters in the AHL. And then you're covering the Blue Jackets in the NHL. How do you balance that in saying the Erie Otters are playing tonight, the Monsters are playing tonight, the Blue Jackets are playing tonight? How do you know which one to cover? And is it just, oh, it's the NHL, so I'd rather cover that? Or well. It starts at the beginning of the year. Like as soon as all three schedules come out, I will literally sit down, review the schedule, and I'll kind of put a little bit of an outline as to which games I want to do. And you ask a very good question because there's a lot of planning that does go into that, especially the other thing that I like to cover a lot is the NHL draft. And that's why being in the OHL is huge to be able to talk to coaches and players and draft eligible prospects. So I'll look at the Otter schedule and I'll see who their opponents are and I'll circle the dates of games that I know I want to be at because maybe a particular team is only there once per season and I don't want to miss them or else you know, I'm not going to see them in Erie. So I'll circle those. Then I'll look at the Monsters and the Blue Jackets schedule and I'll try to make sure that every trip has at least two, three games or more on it. Like it's very rare that I actually go from Erie to Columbus just for one random game and then come back to Erie unless there's a real major breaking news story or something like that. So what, what I'll do, so just to give you an example, I'll go, I'll go from Erie to Columbus, I'll cover a game. If they're on the road, that, that's a short travel after that. Like sometimes they'll play in Pittsburgh the next night. That's actually going a little bit closer to home where I'll go cover the game in Columbus, say on a Friday night, cover the game in Pittsburgh on Saturday night. And then depending on if the Monsters have a game on that Sunday or maybe the Otters have a game on that Sunday, I'll try and hit that game as well. So it really it combines a lot of different factors, including what the major news story is, if there's a particular prospect that I want to talk to, and then being able to find a trip that works where you really don't um, drive out of the way. It's all kind of in one chain. Or I'll sometimes go Columbus and then Saturday do a Monsters game on the way back home and then end up back home on Saturday night. So it just really depends on how the schedule falls. Now let's move to current day with the pandemic. Um, you know, how difficult and different is it to cover all three teams today? In some senses, it's easier. You know, you cover the Blue Jackets, you watch the game on TV, and then you zoom and ask the players questions, and you don't have to leave your home. And then you can cover every single game instead of your car deciding, you know, where you can go, especially with the interviews. You know, you can be anywhere and ask the, these questions. So how different has it been, especially with the HL and the OHL not starting yet? You're right, Zach. It makes it absolutely easier to be able to focus on the one team. And right, I'm actually sitting in my home office right now talking to you in this home office. This is where I got a big screen TV over here to my left where all the games are on. So got the NHL package and I live in an area where I'm not blacked out from the Blue Jackets. So I can watch either the Blue Jackets broadcast or as I've written before, I'll actually watch a lot of the road broadcast 
Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason that I do that is because I always want to get a sense of what the team that the other team, their broadcasters and their announcers, I always want to know what they're saying about Columbus because I'm trying to keep a little bit of a, a pulse on on the Blue Jackets and what people are saying about them. And I always find it very interesting to hear a different perspective. And then when I watch the game, like I'll watch the game tape like the next day or something like that, I'll usually watch the Blue Jackets broadcast because I'm focusing in on a player or different things like that. So yeah, in that sense, it's absolutely easier. I can just stay here. I feel safe from the pandemic. You know, I can watch the game, like you said, five minutes after the game, log right into Zoom and be able to jump in on a conversation. I actually told my wife this the other day. I'm like, it took a pandemic, but this is really fascinating the way that it works out to be able to be in a bedroom, to be able to still write and cover the job. And in that sense, it's very different than what it, you know, what it would normally be because you don't have the face-to-face -face time anymore. You don't go into the locker room. So you kind of have to do everything remotely. You have to ask all your questions remotely. You've got to come up with story ideas remotely. So yeah, it's challenging in that sense to be able to come up with enough stories to be able to do, but ultimately it's hockey, it's the NHL. There's enough going on and the AHL is going to be starting up here at the beginning of next month. And it sounds like the OHL is going to do the same thing. So once the final details are kind of out there, especially with the Otter schedule, I'll sit down and see what games are going to you know, work or not. I'm probably going to go to a couple of Monsters games because I know that there is some, um, they will allow media, you just there's going to be a lot different than what it normally is. I think later in February, I'm going to go to Columbus for a couple of games live. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time to say the least, Zach. And when it comes to the Zoom and, you know, with the interviews, it's very interesting that, you know, you can cover it from anywhere. You can talk to the players. Uh, and part of me is saying, is that going to be the future even after the pandemic? Because, like, for example, when you had Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic, uh, that got traded to Columbus, and we'll talk about that trade in a little bit. Yep. You're able to see them, to talk to them, and reporters on TSN in Canada can be on there. Reporters from Sportsnet can be on there. People like in Philadelphia, anywhere, me, where I'm not in Columbus and, and you know, talking to Patrick Liney in Winnipeg. I think that what do you think about the future of this being in the sense that, you know, you're not going to necessarily be with the players all the time? And mm -hmm. what's the advantage of that compared to what more do you get from the interviews when you're actually face to face in the locker room with the players? Enough to you're asking really good questions, Zach. It's awesome, but um, ultimately, I think that's a, this is a two-part answer to the first part you said about what's going to happen, kind of in the immediate future, and what's going to happen later on. I think in the immediate future, right now, we're not going to get any locker room access. That's pretty plain and simple. That's spelled out. When we get to next season, the question is, will we have locker room access? I think it's going to depend on where the pandemic is and the condition of the world. And will the league, the players, the teams, will they feel safe enough to be able to open the locker room up again? I think that's eventually going to happen. Um, I know right now it works out great that everything can be done on Zoom. Like you said, all, all the different outlets can come in into one Zoom meeting and be able to raise their hand and ask questions. But 
there is a downfall to that. And I've talked to a few um, media people from around the league. And the one thing that you don't get when you're on Zoom is the personal feel. And the, the one thing that they get is the whole, sometimes the off the record conversation that you won't normally get on Zoom. Like you're not gonna ask off the record questions, but when you're in the locker room, you know, maybe you can pull a player aside and you know, say off the record and then they talk and what, you know, whatever it is. That part's completely gone now. And that's what one thing that writers for the most part definitely miss is that personal feel of being able to, because it, it helps their story a lot um, to be able to get some of that extra detail that's out there. So it's great now, but I think ultimately, I'm not sure that this would be a permanent solution, even when it gets back to a normal world. I'm sure that there would be opportunities to jump on a Zoom call or something like that in certain situations. But when the regular season comes back to normal, I would expect that locker rooms be open, reporters be able to go back in and have um, interaction again. But until we get back to a normal world, it's going to be like this. Yeah, and I find that a very fascinating conversation, especially, you know, if you're not in Columbus, you're not going to be able to see the Blue Jackets practicing and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but now let's talk about You've covered the NHL, the OHL, the AHL. You, you've talked about uh, Liam Foody or um, Connor McDavid, Sonny Milano. Being able to see these players grow, what have been some of the best memories or stories you've had from this job? In this there are so many. And that's the Erie Otters by themselves in the, in the McDavid, Strom, DeBrinckit era. I, I could go over just countless stories, all, all the playoff runs that they had. Um, I just, I remember um, there was a little bit of a tradition between Kyle Maximovich and Alex Dabrinkit um, on the Otters, especially the year that they won the OHL title, where I would be in the media room just sitting down and we would have our dinner before the game. And the two of them would just randomly pop into the media room and, you know, they would reach for a Tim Hortons donut. I, I kid you not. They did this every single game. And eventually I pulled him aside and said, you know, what's the deal with that? And I said, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a good luck charm. So when they, they would all each get a sprinkled donut and for the most, they, they won 50 games the year they won the OHL championship. So you can't complain about, um, I would think a donut would be the last thing that a hockey player would want pregame, yeah. but it's working for them. So it, that's just one of my favorite stories. That's the kind of thing that you get for being at these different arenas and these different leagues is you see the little intricacies, you see just so many things. Um, I know in the AHL, um, it's a little bit of a different atmosphere there too, because it's more of a developmental league, but um, you, you just like, I'll, like Mike Eves is the coach of the um, Cleveland Monsters now. He is such a phenomenal interview, just he's very insightful on what he's thinking about certain players and how he wants them to develop. You know, the former coach of the Monsters who won the championship back in 2016 was Jared Bednar, the current coach of the Colorado Avalanche. And one of my favorite stories with him is the year that they were going um, deep into, into the playoffs before they won the Calder Cup. I was able to get a one-on-one -on -one with him and he was just so insightful. And I'm proud to call him somebody that I know. And I remember he came back to, um, he's been back to Columbus a couple of times since being the coach of Colorado, but knowing him from Cleveland, um, I think it was in 2019 prior to the pandemic, um, there was a snowstorm in certain places where some of the Denver and the Colorado media couldn't get there, but the avalanche were already in town. So 
who ran the media availability for the other team that day. There, there was um, NHL.com was there and I was there and we interviewed Bednar and it ended up going on Colorado's um, TV feed. That, that, and it, he was very comfortable with that because he knew who I was. I knew who he was. We've interviewed, I've interviewed him. So I know what to expect. I know what kind of questions he likes. That's the thing. Those are some of my favorite stories. And that, that's the whole being able to develop a relationship with them, no matter who it is, whether it be Connor McDavid, I can, God, it got to a point, Zach, where Connor McDavid, we'd have to actually not request him in Erie um, to give him some days off because of how much we'd bother him. And ultimately, he really appreciated that um, because obviously he had the superstar with him and you know, he's a very popular interview. So if like national media, like Sportsnet and TSN were there, he would obviously come out and do that. But then I would get to the arena one day, you know, just getting ready and getting set up. He'd be coming in from school and lo and behold, he would actually pull me aside and just say, you know, um, how are you doing? And just, he cared. And at the combine in Buffalo, he did the same thing. I was up there with Dylan Strom, Connor McDavid, 2015 draft. That's when Wierenski was drafted by the Blue Jackets. I got there early enough that I got to say hi to Dylan Strom, but then there was a big scrum where Strom and McDavid were bombarded by the cameras. It's a common theme that they do. All the top prospects speak of the Friday at the combine and McDavid was done. He came out of that scrum. Strom was about to go in and I overheard him because I was right there and Connor told Strom, yeah, good luck with that because of how big the media scrum was. And then McDavid saw me and actually stopped and said, not only how are you doing, how's life in Erie, how's life treating you? And that just speaks everything you need to know about who Connor McDavid is. Not only is he a great hockey player, he's just such a wonderful ambassador for the sport. And he really does value the relationships that are there, especially if they're good. And, and no matter where I go now, whether it be NHL, AHL, OHL, that's the thing that I take with me everywhere is being able to develop those relationships, sometimes share a good laugh. I, I remember going up to Zach Wierenski one time, um, can't remember what the exact situation was, but there was like a little bit of a dinner bet going on between him and a couple of his teammates. And I asked him if he won and he started smiling. Remember Brandon Dubinsky and Josh Anderson were both big football fans. Anderson being a Steeler fan. I remember Brandon Dubinsky is a big Chiefs fan. So he's in seventh heaven right now with the way the Chiefs are going, but just things like that, just those little stories, it makes the mood lighter and it just, it helps build the relationship with players where it just makes our job so much fun and so much easier. Yeah. And I can't go that like hearing all those stories, just bring, keep on bringing me back to the zoom and everything like that, where, mm -hmm. you know, I've started to attend some press conferences and things like that on zoom. And yeah, you can't just, you can't make those relationships and really meet the players and get there on a personal level uh, when, when you're on zoom, it's very difficult. You know, I'm doing classes I'm doing this and it's just hard not being in person, um, which is very, very unfortunate with the pandemic, but now let's turn to the team. You're currently covering all the time now because the other two leagues are closed down, uh, with the Columbus blue jackets. Let's go mm -hmm. to here. We know all about them sweeping Tampa and the John Tortorella era. Well, we've now entered a new era, which people are calling the line a era. He's just arrived in Columbus 
uh, let's talk about everything regarding the Blue Jackets this year. Um, because it's been d- very difficult and strange after Pierre-Luc Dubois requested a trade. Yep. On New Year's, this, this was New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2020. You heard this. It came from Pierre Lebrun and then Darren Dreger and Aaron Portsline all, all started talking about Dubois' change of scenery. What were your first thoughts on on this request and mm-hmm. how do you think he ultimately handled it all the way until what people in Canada and everywhere are calling the shift and until he is now a Winnipeg jet. Mm. Zaka caught me off guard. And I think that to the mostly it caught a lot of people off guard because yes. as far as we knew, you know, they signed the contract, you know, it seemed like that it was a lengthy negotiation, but we didn't think that it was this bad where a trade would be requested. And then we saw the Pierre Lebrun tweet was the one that kind of tripped everything off, but we've come to find out that this has been an issue brewing for some time. Like within, they did a really good job of covering it up without letting it get out to the media where, you know, they had an inkling that Dubois was thinking about doing this, like, you know, whatever his reason, we really don't know ultimately what happened, you know, whether it be he wanted to go to a big stage or maybe something happened internally that just really set him off. We really don't know the ins and outs of that. And he won't speak to that. You know, he's spoken multiple times. He's going to keep that to himself. But um, yeah, just shocking. You know, the Blue Jackets drafted him third overall for a reason to be their number one center for potentially a decade or more. And here we go. And it's he's up in Winnipeg now. And, you know, you know, good for him. He's going to have a fresh start. He's going to reunite with his dad, who's a coach up there. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the team you know, hopes, you know, all the best for him. But looking at it from the Blue Jackets perspective, they traded the number three pick for the guy that Yarmo Kekalainen wanted to draft in 2016 anyway, and the number two pick in Patrick Lyon, eh? like they really love this player. Like, in fact, Kekalainen's already on record by saying that he would have given up a ton to move from three to two that year, and he would have picked Patrick Lyon. So not only do they get the player that they eventually wanted anyway, they get a a kid in Jack Roslovich, who's originally from Columbus, that is going to um, hopefully fulfill the role of number two center. And if he does that, then it becomes a beautiful trade for the Blue Jackets. So just a weird situation all the way around to, you know, how it came out. And Dubois mentioned that he was going to be a good teammate, a good player as much as possible. And then we all saw that shift where he just completely gave up on a play gave no resistance whatsoever. It's almost like that was a signal that he pretty much was quitting on his teammates. And just, a, it's a terrible way to end because he, he did something. Think about this. I mean, the Blue Jackets went to Toronto and beat the Maple Leafs on the, the Maple Leafs home ice in the bubble to advance in to play Tampa Bay. And it was because a big part of that was because of Pierre-Luc Dubois and how good he was. So it was a sign possibly that he was finally going to be the number one center that was going to step in. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen that way. So now it's Patrick Laine, and you know, he's going to be very interesting because there's some people that mention that he is the next Alexander Ovechkin because of how well he can shoot the puck. And I think it's interesting what the Blue Jackets have done to welcome him into town. It's been private plane, and there was a big sign um, put up in Columbus welcoming him to Columbus in his native Finnish language. So this is going to be the ultimate test. They have an opportunity now, you know, to build a relationship 
with this player who you know, he wants to come in, he's excited to come in. Can they sign him to a long-term deal? And that will ultimately be a brewing and developing story as we go on here. If they're able to land him and get a player of his caliber to commit to Columbus long-term, it really puts a jolt not only into the team, but the fan base and the fan base is really hungry to have a super a bonafide superstar that's under contract. That's going to just bring an excitement level. I mean, outside of Rick Nash, and I know I think Lionel's upside is higher than Nash's and outside of Nash, who, you know, what, what superstars like true game changing superstar. I mean, Artemi Panarin, but he left in free agency. Patrick Line is the guy and Columbus has to do everything that they can to build a relationship with him, do the right things. And, you know, hopefully they can sign him into a, to a medium, to long-term contract and, you know, kind of move on from the Dubois situation because it, it ended in the ugliest way possible. Yeah. And what I want to go to back to what you said with the Dubois situation that it caught a lot of people off guard. Now, looking back when Yarmo Kuklainen in the off season was trading a bunch of people to try and everyone thought Yarmo was going to make a big move, but it was just to protect an offer sheet. We're like, why would Dubois sign an offer sheet with any other team? Well, yep. found out that's because he, he wanted to leave. And I don't think we, we will ever know why he wanted to leave for a long time, at least. Uh, and it's very, very interesting. And I agree with the sense that, you know, I told Jeff uh, Svoboda uh, last week when we were recapping the trade, Dubois was just, walking gliding on the ice and that was very very disappointing this year uh one thing i heard on insider training from pierre lebron on tsn was patrick line is more interested in a medium term deal that's four to six years instead of a long-term seven to eight ultimately he may sign a seven to eight year deal but if he only signs four to six years is it still a very successful thing for the blue jackets or is it not it can be sure. I mean, if you get you get a player like Patrick Liney to go four to six years with the Blue Jackets, that can be a very successful thing for sure. Because you have a player locked up. I understand seven to eight would be the ultimate security here, but you know, maybe Liney wants a an, another contract after that. And you know, the Blue Jackets need to do whatever they can to make sure they don't lose this player. Cause I think one thing Zach that's being underreported right now. And I know we had a colleague of mine at the hockey writers who wrote about this line is on board. Roslovich is on board. What are the Seattle expansion implications that come along with that? So now that they're here, does that mean that they're going to lose somebody else that maybe they didn't think of? So that's another kind of angle to this where I think that it takes on even greater importance because Patrick Laine right now, his contract is up after this season. So it will be very important that they get down to business at some point at the right time. There's time. I mean, he's an RFA. So obviously there's the threat of offer sheet and other things like that, but he can't walk as a UFA. So ultimately they need to you know sit down, get to know each other, figure out what each side wants and kind of go from there. And even if it's a four to six year deal, listen, that's going to be the potential of that is going to be wonderful because again, brain being able to bring on somebody like that, he's going to awaken their power play. He's going to just provide a joy. He's going to make so many players better. Like we know how good Oliver Bjorkstrand is right now. Mm-hmm. You put him on a line with Patrick Lyon, if, if it works out that way, that's going to be incredible. Max Domi, a former 70 point player in the NHL, you put him at center as a playmaker to be able to feed pucks to Patrick Lyon. That has the, the, the potential 
to be pretty deadly in a good way for the Blue Jackets. So whatever they need to do, now get the contract done. Four to six years is a big win considering some of the things that they've endured before. Yeah, and maybe Texier, they may put Texier because he's been very, very impressive this season for them as well. Definitely. Before we move on from this trade, I'm not seeing it in, in the Columbus media. I'm seeing it more in the Canadian media in the sense that John Tortorella, for some reason, has seemed to get a crazy amount of heat for the Dubois situation. But in my opinion, if a player's playing like that, I think any coach in the National Hockey League would have benched him. Yep. So getting heat for saying in an interview, yeah, he wants out, even though that was already publicly known. Do you think that it's deserved to get that amount of heat or is it being shown so blown out of proportion? And how do you think he'll work with Patrick Kleine? Because there's a lot of people who think it's going to be a dumpster fire, just like they say it was with Dubois, but then Dubois has an interview with Ron McLean on Sportsnet and said, Tort's a great person. That's not why I wanted to leave. Yeah. And, you know, and Tortorella actually was asked about this already and he addressed it. Um, he's, if there's one thing that John Tortorella is, Zach, he's consistent in his approach. It doesn't matter if you're the top line center or the best player on the team, or if you're a fourth liner or a third pair defenseman, if you bring your 100% effort to the game, he is going to play you. doesn't matter who you are. And that, that's how he's treated everybody. He, Cam Atkinson knows, Nick Foligno knows, Boone Jenner knows. He's willing to bench anybody if he doesn't feel like that um, that performance will help his team win. So that's why Dubois got benched. And apparently a lot of people saw this, even p- people that are known to not be on Torts' side. And they agreed with Torts that he deserved to be benched in that situation because that was one of the worst shifts that I've ever seen in my life, to be honest with you. I mean, it just is an obvious sign that he quit. So all that aside, I do think a lot of the tort stuff is overblown. I know he does open his mouth to a fault sometimes, and he sometimes spews out the wrong things because he's brutally honest. And I know the, the Brisson comments are the thing that's kind of getting some attention now where he's not really appreciating Tortorella talking about it, saying that, He's throwing Dubois, made, made Dubois an example, I think is what he said. And the, the fact that he's continuing to talk about it. Well, he benched Dubois because of the performance, plain and simple. Yeah. He's had to answer some questions about that. He's now to a point, Dubois gone. Liney's now in Columbus in quarantine, ready to, to go through protocol. The time is now to be able to move on from this. And um, I think that's what's going to happen. What else is there to ask about now? I mean, the trade has already happened. The shift has already happened. It's just time to move, for everybody to move on. Brisson, Torts, whoever you, whoever's in the middle of that. Time to move on from everything. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I've heard Tortorella over so many years. And his most recent interview on Sportsnet on their new segment called The Big Screen uh, was one of the most, one of the best interviews I've ever heard him in. Because I I've really felt his emotions and I really uh, thought he was great and very, very honest in that interview. And I'm very excited to see how he works with Patrick Line. And I think they ultimately are going to do pretty well uh, compared to what some other people are saying in this. Yep. Panarin and him were awesome together. Panarin grew as a player and he let him play. Um, but one thing now is, you know, 
Max Domi's here. I talked about Alexander Texier becoming a center. You have Miko Koivu, Riley Nash. Boone Jenner could also be a center. And Jack Roslovic. Is there a big hole in the center position for the Blue Jackets? And how do they replace them? And is this something they can get over easily? Um, especially, you know, in this offseason, they may trade Corpus Allo or Merzlikens. Are they able to get a number one center and really solve that problem with a trade? Number one centers are so hard to find. That's why every, that's why 20, 25 teams are interested in Dubois when he was available like that, because that's a, that's a rare situation. Mm-hmm. It is a big hole, Zach. There's no question about that. I mean, the, the, the guys that you've mentioned right now, Texier, just starting to play center at the NHL level has shown some nice bright spots, but has also made some mistakes. So he's certainly adjusting the life at that level. I wouldn't say he's a number one center yet, even though he might play that role this year at some points, Max Domi is getting, he's a, I'm getting a chance at center. Um, and mentioned earlier, former 70 point guy. Um, he he'll get, he'll play the role. I'm not sure that he's a true bonafide number one center. Pierre-Luc Dubois is training to be a number one center. And that's why the Winnipeg Jets ended up getting him because he's the kind of guy that he can take over a game on his own. And that is so hard to find. I mean, to be able to put a package together, to be able to get a legitimate number one center would cost you a fortune. So that's where the problem in trades come in, whereas you might be able to come up with the right package to find a number one center. But at the end of the day, you're going to give up your number one defenseman. You're probably going to give up one of your best wingers. And you're probably going to give up one of your best prospects as a bare minimum to be able to fill that role. So it's like, okay, we can fill this hole. But now we got other holes that we have to fill. And so their challenge now is to be able to find a player or players that they can possibly get in a number one role Maybe not the traditional way. Is you know the old saying goes, if you're going to get a true game-changing number one center, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, we can go on and on about the greats in the game. They had to be drafted, plain and simple. And unfortunately, the Blue Jackets, outside of a couple of years, um, 2015, I know they won um, a lottery spot the year they drafted Dubois, but they've made the playoffs for five or four consecutive years and they're looking for a fifth one. So it's not like they're picking at the top of the draft to be able to find a true game changing number one center. So it sort of makes what Columbus is doing even more impressive because they are playing as a team. They do have a good defense when, when everything is right. They have a good goaltending situation now. Um, now that they have Corpus Allo and Merzlikin still in the fold for now. And like you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see how they do later, but it's going to be tough for them to be able to fill that hole. And it's certainly, it should be their priority to be able to find somebody to fill that role. Can he do it? Only time will tell. There's a lot that has to kind of develop before we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And when you're talking about a number one, like to get another number one center, I'm thinking Corpus Allermers Leakins, then a Jones or Rorensky, they Blue Jackets would probably do Rorensky and then a foodie and another guy, like, that's a huge package. Yeah, and I don't so much. Yep. Yarmo would ever do that. Three more questions uh, quick yep. to talk about the Blue Jackets here. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Tortorella for a second. This is his last season on contract. Yep. You see him, I think it's ultimately his choice 
is this his last year as a as a coach in the end? We don't know. That's a good question. We don't know because yeah, you mentioned the contract that's obviously up at the end of this year. Turns out he's one of the lower paid coaches in the league. So if they are going to bring him back, they're going to have to probably give him a pretty significant pay raise. Not to mention that we're in pandemic. So I believe the coaches are actually being paid less than what they would be getting anyway, because the teams have had to adjust to that. So he's dodged all those questions. He's been asked about it. He's not going to go there. He said, so anything I try to say is going to be speculation, but it's certainly something that we are going to monitor because you know, let's face it, he's the most successful coach that Columbus has had because he went in at a time, he replaced Todd Richards after the Blue Jackets started 0-8, went in there, didn't know anybody's name. He just got off that bad um, one year in Vancouver. Um, a lot of people questioned the move. And now look at it where he, he won coach of the year. He was runner up for coach of the year again. There was a 16 game winning streak in there. Just the, the things that he's done. He's brought respectability. And that's something that I think that a lot of people overlook with towards. They know all about the blowups and stuff like that. But Columbus was in an interesting spot at the time because of the 0 and 8. And you know, they, they made the playoffs the year before. And they were expecting big things. And 0 and 8 was the worst possible start they could have. So they needed to make a hire for somebody that was going to bring accountability, was going to bring leadership into that locker room. And Tortorella is perfect for that. But Zach, here's the thing that I personally wonder. I think that every coach ultimately has a shelf life. You know, sometimes the voice might get a little bit stale or different things like that. Yeah. I know that Kekalainen really loves Tortorella. That, the relationship that they have is really good. So it's going to come down to, can they find terms financially that they can agree on and then is Kekalainen convinced that Tortorella is the one that can bring them to the next level because they've made the playoffs the thing that they have to prove now is that they can win in the playoffs and to date under the Kekalainen era since 2012 the Blue Jackets have won just one playoff series they've only advanced to the second round one time Tortorella was part of coached that team of course because it was the big sweep of Tampa Bay but ultimately the decision is going to have to be made both financially and direction of the team because you know Torrell is not going to be around forever and then he, you know if it turns out he's not going to come back the Blue Jackets are going to have to make sure that they get the right guy in there to be able to kind of keep going what they've started and get them to that next level but it's something that, that we're definitely going to be monitoring because all year it's going to be a question and I don't even think he knows at this point but we'll see. And ultimately, part of me is also like, maybe he doesn't want to coach anymore. You know, he's been coaching for a long time. Maybe he decides he doesn't want to come back. Um, you know, I was going to ask you about the playoffs. When I wrote this question, uh, when we first agreed to do this interview, the mm -hmm. Jackets were on a downtrend. Their power play was struggling. They've looked good the past two games. And so I think the Blue Jackets still have a very good possibility for the playoffs because – when I wrote this question, it was looking like it was going down a little bit. Um, and, you know, they're number one in their division, but they've played more games than every other team besides Chicago they're equal with. Um, my last question is maybe a hard one. Okay. But in my sense, where do you see the Blue Jackets in three to five years? And with talking about that, you know, they're in two years' time, there is a big big job for Yarmo Kekalainen. 
Max Domi's a uh, he'll be an R uh, a free agent. So will Seth Jones. Yep. Zach Rensky will be an RFA. Both goaltenders, whichever they want to keep, will be an RFA. You know, and I believe Foodie will also be an RFA. You know, that is a big, big offseason, keeping Jones and Rensky, and then Line is probably going to have a big contract. The goaltender, whoever they keep, is going to have a big contract. Where do you see them in three to five years with all these players up for grabs, and maybe they won't be Blue Jackets in a few years' time? Yeah, definitely a tough question, Zach, but I think that it's going to really depend upon – how this season plays out and, you know, and so forth from there, because there, you mentioned the big names that are going to be up and due for contracts here. So line a this off season, Seth Jones, next off season, talk about having to pass several tests to be able to keep your best players. And you know, ultimately I think the blue jackets look at Seth Jones as a future captain. You know, they're certainly going to try and keep them to the max value. In my opinion, um, we'll see if that happens, but in three to five years, it could really be one of two situations, depending how the season goes. And you know, if they're able to keep some of those players, you're either going to keep some of your studs, you're going to establish who your core is, and then you're going to continue to build from within. So there's one possibility. So you could have a situation where line A is signed, Seth Jones is signed. Maybe you have to trade Wierenski, you know, who knows? I mean, depending on where everything is at, they're going to evaluate everything. I mean, Nick Foligno is another one. He, he's up for a contract after this year, and he's your captain. How do you come up with the next contract for him? So there's just so many different questions out there, and I think that we have to look at it from the different possibilities. Like, what is a possible outcome in three to five years? One side of the equation says that there could be some star power on this team, and this team could eventually get to some places, you know, if Liney meets his potential, if Jones gets to Norris potential, if they keep one of the goaltenders, you know, Corpus Al has been out of this world as of late, you know, Merzlikens has the upside as well. Um, the, the potential is certainly there, but then of course we have to consider the other side and the other side is what if Liney doesn't sign? What if Seth Jones elects to leave in free agency? Wierenski's still an RFA, so he might be a little bit easier to keep uh, if they can't keep anybody else, but, you know, who knows? I mean, that, that's something that I think that as time moves on, you know, when you get, you know, by the trade deadline, by the end of the season, by the draft, we'll have some more clues available to us to be able to kind of see where they're going. But, you know, if I had to pick something, at least with what we know right now, I'm actually going to write about this too in the, in the coming weeks, I believe, with, you know, with Patrick Line being in town. They have an opportunity to land a premier talent and they need to, they need to lock him in. And so I think in three years, if they're able to do that, you could have an Alex Avenchkin type goal scorer. You can build around that player. There's a lot of young talent here that you've already mentioned. Ultimately, success in Columbus is going to come down to playoff success and wins. That's what it's going to come down to. If the players feel like that they can do it in Columbus, I think that they can build something special. If they feel like that they can't, then they have every right to go in free agency. So that, that, that's, it's going to be on the team to be able to ice a product that can go out and potentially win the Stanley Cup. And I think as of right now, I think the players love what – you know, the Dubois situation, the way that it was handled, they brought 
in a player that can come right in and immediately help them. That's going to energize them. Can they keep that up? And can they keep that momentum going forward? It's certainly possible, but certain things have to fall in place in order for that to happen. Yeah, and, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, one player you didn't talk about specifically was Max Domi. He's a sleeper pick. You know, where are you going to get that center potential? Maybe Texier does come in. But also, when you're talking about success, when there's success, maybe some free agents want to come in, be able to play with Line A, be able to play with Jones. And that's another great thing that you can have when you have star players. But Mark, really intriguing conversation going back from Zoom to the OHL to now the Blue Jackets. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any last things you want to say? Uh, How can people on the podcast uh, follow you, listen to you, and uh, see everything you're doing? Yeah, so I'm at Mark Scheig, S-C-H-E-I-G, on Twitter. You can find us on the um, thehockeywriters.com. We have a show every Wednesday called The Hockey Writers Live, where we try to bring on different personalities, players, coaches, general managers, members of the media, to be able to have hockey conversation. We go um, on Facebook Live for one hour every Wednesday and sometimes Tuesday. You know, come join us. You know, we're, we're here to try to, you know, cover hockey and, and, you know, maybe help bring a little bit of normalcy to people's lives. And, you know, that's, that's where you can find me. And, you know, Zach, we really appreciate you doing this. This is a really good interview. I think you asked some very thoughtful questions and you know, this was a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you as well. Thank you so much. And yeah, your Twitter, we always in our podcast and to our listeners as well, our, our guests and hosts and co-hosts, their Twitter and ads are all in our description on our podcast as well. So Mark, thank you again for coming on. And I can't wait to see how the Blue Jacks continue to do uh, and when the AHL and OHL start as well. And who knows when the draft will be as well. So thank exactly. you. Never a dull moment. Nope. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that fantastic interview with Mark Shag of the Hockey Writers. Um, but, you know, now it is time to get into NHL news. Uh, we're, of course, going to talk about the Blue Jackets a little bit uh, with Patrick Lining and Jack Rosvick and when they're playing and things like that. Um, but it was a very, very interesting conversation. I really enjoyed that part talking about Zoom interviews versus in-person interviews as well. And uh, Mark watching games in person in Columbus versus watching them online. Uh, so very, very interesting. But it's time to get into the news. Uh, the first thing that happened after the podcast was released last week, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet let everyone know that Elias Pedersen of the Vancouver Canucks switched agents. He has switched to Brisson and Barry. Those are two agents at CAA uh, Hockey Agents. Um, in other news, the Washington Capitals introduced a new third jersey, which it is a red, white, and blue, specifically big blue jersey, uh, based off their jersey that they wore in the Winter Classic, and it has the Washington Monument in that big W with three stars on each point of the W. Um, One thing that did happen with the, like last episode, we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes and their COVID-19 situation well, the NHL redid a lot of the schedule. They announced big schedule updates, um, which impacted, of course, Carolina, but in, 
impacted Nashville, Florida, Tampa, and Columbus. So a big, big part of the Central Division, the Discover Card uh, Central Division. Now, in other news, the NHL and NHLPA released a statement regarding Predators goaltender Connor Ingram. Uh, They have released him to a player assistance program. Again, they said that the National Hockey League's Player Association and the NHL announced today that goaltender Connor Ingram of the Nashville Predators will be away from the team voluntarily taking part in the NHL-NHL-PA Player Assistance Program. Uh, I wish him all the best with that. Um, Jack Roslovic, who of course was traded from Winnipeg to Columbus, was in Blue Jackets protocol, uh, and he played Thursday for the Columbus Blue Jackets in his opening game, uh, which was very, very exciting for him. We talked about the Arizona Coyotes in, I don't know, maybe four or five episodes ago when John Chica, their former general manager, left and breached his contract and resigned. Um, the NHL finally, and NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, made a decision on him breaching his contract with the team. Uh, they suspended him through December 31st, 2021. The NHL was suspended by the commissioner for conduct detrimental to the league and game, and Shaika cannot be involved in NHL business through December 31st, 2021. Craig Morgan, uh, who writes for the Arizona Coyotes, um, ArizonaCoyotesInsider.com, said further to this, and no surprise, the league will not be commenting or releasing information on the ruling per Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, Also, Darren Dreger of TSN said, to clarify, sources say today's ruling is related to multiple years remaining on Shika's contract with Arizona in his attempt to terminate his contract. Um, And, of course, that is very interesting. Um, So I look forward to, of course, seeing how it all works out in the future. but, you know, there were rumors Chaika wanted to go to the New Jersey Devils and also work with the Mets. Um, but at that point, at this point, he can't be involved in any league things until December 31st, 2021. Um, and that's honestly just the commissioner setting a statement and making an example out of Chaika so no other general managers or league executives do that. The New York Rangers announced in injury news that Philip Scheitel will be out four to six weeks due to an upper in, upper body injury suffered on Sunday at the Pittsburgh Penguins game. That is not this past Sunday, but two Sundays ago. Pierre Lebron of TSN said that Tyler Ennis of Edmonton, Greg Patterson of Colorado cleared waivers, and Jeremy Barocco of Carolina was placed on waivers, and I believe he cleared as well, uh, but unconditional waivers to terminate his contract. The Seattle Kraken now have a... TV play-by-play announcer, and that announcer is John Forslund. John Forslund is currently calling games for NBC, um, but he will be the full-time play-by-play announcer for the Seattle Kraken when they start in the 2021-2022 season. Jack Campbell is out for weeks with a leg injury, according to Sheldon Keith, and Michael Hutchinson is the Leafs' number two goaltender, for the foreseeable future. The Seattle Kraken also announced 
when they announced about John Forslund that they are partnering with their broadcasting with Root Sports Northwest, uh, which is very exciting for them, and they now have a TV home. One thing that I do want to talk about specifically when it comes to COVID is the Vegas Golden Knights. The first game we knew that out of abundance of caution, the Vegas Golden Knights will be isolating their coaches and GM Kelly McCrimmon will take over uh, with likely with the team's AHL staff. And he, of course, came over and coached with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights in that game. But then the day after, the Golden Knights closed their practice facility and, you know, then they had some other COVID issues. Uh, where, you know, they were going to play San Jose in Arizona, but then there were some issues with COVID where Vegas Golden Knights were told their game against St. Louis was postponed um, because there were additional positive tests, and Alex Petrangelo was added to the COVID-19 list for the Vegas Golden Knights, and the NHL made a statement saying that NHL announced today that as a result of a player and another member of the Vegas Golden Knights coaching staff entering the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, the team's game tonight against the St. Louis Blues will be postponed. And later, they did postpone the San Jose series, uh, which was going to be again in Arizona, but it will now be rescheduled for a later date. Uh, So best of luck to anyone in those COVID-19 protocols. Uh, we talked about Patrick Laine uh, a lot with Mark Scheig, and we now know, like I said when I was talking to Mark, that it is rumored, uh, according to TSN's insider trading, that Laine is focused on a mid-term uh, contract with them. Um, in other news as well, Patrick Laine is now in Columbus quarantining for 48 hours, and his debut game may be on Tuesday uh, when they face the Dallas Stars in the Columbus, uh, which is very exciting. The St. Louis Blues have announced they will increase attendance to 1,400 fans for the next set of home games. And this one, it was very, very interesting. The Pittsburgh Penguins say that general manager Jim Rutherford has resigned for personal reasons. Patrick Alvin will take over as interim Penn's general manager and will consult with owner Mario Lemieux uh, and the search for the new GM in Pittsburgh starts immediately, and Pittsburgh said uh, that they want to have a new GM in the next two to three weeks, and that they are working, working very hard to get a new general manager. And Rutherford did it for personal reasons, but it does not mean he is retiring. Anyways, there was a three-way trade. Uh, the San Jose Sharks received defenseman Tristan Jaros, the NHL Anaheim Ducks received defenseman Trevor Carrick. Uh, the Ottawa Senators also got for Jack Kapaka and a San Jose's 2022 7th round pick. And, you know, I talked about the Vegas Golden Knights not playing in Arizona against the San Jose Sharks, but now we know that the San Jose Sharks will now return to SAP Center in San Jose February 13th and 15th, and that is great news for them. Their first home games will actually be at home, which is very, very, very exciting uh, for them because you don't want to play home games when you're not actually home. 
Uh, there were rumors regarding Jim Rutherford and the Pittsburgh Penguins that he was working on a Chris Letang train to one of the teams he can't be traded to, and the ownership did not want him doing this, and it was an untenable situation. But again, that's rumors, and I don't know if that's necessarily um, like confirmed at this point. Uh, there was a retiring. It was Jimmy Howard. He decided to retire uh, from his last team was the Detroit Red Wings. Congratulations on a great, uh, great uh, career for him. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks welcomed uh, Madison Bowie, uh, defenseman. He signed a two-year deal that runs through 2021, 725000 salary cap hit per year. Um, the... In NWHL news, the Metropolitan Riveters pulled out of the NWHL Lake Placid Tournament due to health and safety concerns, uh, and it sounds like they uh, there were a few people that tested positive. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, after a long break of COVID-19, they uh, did return, which is great news from them. In NHL player safety news, Minnesota's Kevin Fiala will have a, had a hearing for boarding Los Angeles, Matt Roy, and I believe he was suspended for three games. The New Jersey Devils did not practice today because of COVID-19 reasons, and some players were now added to the protocols, and Travis Zajek is the only addition to the NHL's COVID-19 protocol list today. Um, and three, and this was two days ago, but three Hurricanes players were removed Warren Fogel, Jordan Mardinuk, and Tuvu Teravainen. Um, and actually, I did uh, talk about Kevin Fiala already. He was suspended for three games. Um, also, some other things that, and we haven't even got to the good stuff yet. Travis uh, Travis Konechny uh, was a healthy scratch in last night's game with the Philadelphia Flyers. They scratched him which is pretty, pretty big news because uh, he's, a, in my opinion, a good player and a good defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers. In Saturday headlines, Chris Johnston of Sportsnet said that Sam Bennett requested a trade from the Calgary Flames. Uh, Salim Nadim Balaji of TSN reported that Victor Mente, who has been scratched in each of Montreal's seven games this season, Officially requested a trade from the team. Agent Darren Ferris and the Montreal Canadiens will work together in finding a trade partner. Um, Mete's agent said there is an opportunity to get in the lineup. It's the best for both the player and the team. But then Habs GM Mark Bergeron said not true and not trading him. So that's very interesting when the player's agent said, we formally requested a trade, we don't want to be here anymore, and the GM said that's not true, not trading him. Um, so I don't know how it's rumors when an agent specifically says that. Uh, so that is something we're going to have to definitely see in the future because that is weird for sure. Um, one other thing that we have to talk about is Tony D'Angelo. He was put on waivers today by the New York Rangers. And what it sounds like here is that there was an altercation after the game. Uh, there was an over the, the New York Rangers lost in overtime last night. Uh, well, two nights ago, I'm recording this on Sunday. So last night when uh, 
Georgiev and D'Angelo ran into each other behind the net, had a miscommunication, turned over the puck, and the Pittsburgh Penguins scored like 15 seconds after that. Uh, apparently, there was an altercation between Tony D'Angelo uh, and Alexander Georgiev, their, one of their star goaltenders, um, after the game, and that is a report from The Athletic, uh, and that is why the New York Rangers put him on waivers. You know, D'Angelo is actually a good player, um, but, you know, if the Rangers don't like his attitude and him having an altercation, which is basically meaning a fight, and they broke them up, uh, that's what the Athletic said, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes uh, in New York, uh, what team he goes to in the future, um, because, like I said, he's a decent player, but I wonder what team is going to want to take a risk on him uh, when he's been creating issues in New York. Um, so that is all of the important NHL news this week. You know, I'm just going to go over the standings. Uh, let's start in the Honda West. Colorado has 12 points. Vegas has 11. St. Louis has 11. And Minnesota has 10. I'm just doing the top four in each division. Mass Mutual East. Washington has 15 points. Philadelphia, 13. Boston, 12. Pittsburgh, 11. Uh, with very equal amount of games there. The Scotia North Division, Toronto has 15, Montreal has 12, Vancouver has 12, Winnipeg has 10. Those are the top four. And the Discover Central, and I want you guys to take these ones with a very grain of salt because Florida right now, uh, this I'm recording this before all of the games on Sunday, uh, so this may change after the podcast is released. Florida's number one with 11 points. Blue Jackets number two with 11. Tampa nine. Dallas eight. But the Blue Jackets have played nine games. Florida's played six. And Dallas and Carolina have only played five games each. So in most divisions, the games are almost equal. Um, But in the Central Division, with all the COVID messiness, uh, there have been a lot of different issues with that. Uh, So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, in the future. And I know after this podcast is released, this week is going to be a big week for the NHL. Uh, Patrick Laine is going to have his first game as Blue Jacket. And we cannot wait to see, um, you know, when everything happens and when Pierre-Luc Dubois can put on his jersey as a Winnipeg Jet. But that is all the NHL news there is this week, and let's get right into the outro. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic interview with Mark Scheig of the Hockey Writers. Of course, you know, the NHL news as well. I know it was a long episode, so I didn't want to go too in-depth in every NHL news, but I just wanted to let everyone know about those topics. But if you want to know everything in real time, follow us on Twitter, at Hockey HQ Podcast or Instagram and Facebook at Quarantine Hockey HQ. Uh, of course, if you want to follow Mark on Twitter, that's at Mark Scheich. That's M A R K S A S C H E I G. And of course, all of our tags are in the description of the podcast. Of course, if you want to send us a message, anchor.fm slash quarantine hockey hq thank you everyone so much for the support continue to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share this with all of your friends 
We will be back with episode 39 of the podcast next Monday. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Rodier, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast. Thanks.